eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time. Time for Silver and Black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas! We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field and bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get get it it on. Here's your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. Happy Tuesday, Raider Nation. It is time for another edition of Silver and Black Today. Welcome back. We are an Odyssey Original Podcast. We talk Raiders football, and unfortunately for Raider Nation, uh, another loss as we talked about on our post-game show on Sunday. But joining me now on the Tuesday edition is my regular co-host. That, of course, is Mr. Mo Moten. He is the NFL national writer for Bleacher Report, also the Raiders columnist for SportsNot.com. He dropped a column late yesterday on three reasons the Raiders are struggling. I think that was what it was. Three reasons, right? Right, Mo? Yep, that's correct. That's right. So make sure you go up and read that. Follow him on Twitter at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. If you're watching us on YouTube or wherever, you can see the handles down in the corner there. I am at LV Gully. And Mo, we haven't talked to you since the game. I rewatched the game for the second time today. Particularly what I do is when I rewatch the game, I'll focus in on one area and um, I can't help but notice, and you name this in your three uh, reasons why the Raiders are struggling piece up on Sports Knot, um, the running game. The Raiders come out, run the ball effectively with a sick Josh Jacobs, a guy who's coming off an illness, undisclosed illness, maybe the flu, something like that. It, it certainly was something they were concerned with. But Josh Jacobs is a gamer. He goes out, he plays. They establish the run earlier on. And then they fall behind, and 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 as we saw before, Josh McDaniels abandons the run, and looking back at it, 
that early abandonment of the run and the inability of the offense to sustain and score in the red zone is what doomed this team in that game. Do you agree with that assessment? Yes, and I actually tweeted this Monday night, and a lot of people were saying, well, someone, I think, tweeted at me and said, Derek Carr does better when he's free, and you got to let Derek Carr be free at the offensive. I, I don't think that has anything to do with the Raiders' struggles. To me, a good team in the red zone has an effective ground attack. doesn't necessarily have to be a run-first team, but you have to be able to effectively run the ball, and you have to give your running back some value. Once you get in the red zone, so they're used to taking those carries, taking those hits, and making some plays in critical situations. And the Raiders just, Josh McDaniels, I should say, goes away from the run game too early, I believe. What what peed me, and I texted you and Evan Grode of Just Pot Baby this. The Raiders came out against the second worst run defense in the league. Yes. And they're running wide receiver reverses for Devontae Adams. <laughs> that angered me. And I'm like, Josh, yeah. Josh McDaniels has to keep it. And I said this the last show I was on last week. Josh McDaniels has to simplify things. You didn't have to run a wide receiver reverse. Looks cool and everything. I get it. But he was going into his bag of tricks throughout the whole Titans game. And I think he should have just kept the game plan simple. And it's go at the Titans run defense. They had Danico Arch. They have Danico Archer and Jeffrey Simmons who can rush the passer. But those guys have been helping the Titans interior run defense. And the Raiders just did not do enough of that early in the game, which I felt they should have. Now, one quick point. I think the comparison for me, and I didn't mention this in the column because I didn't want to bring up Gruden too much. But one thing I could say about John Gruden was he was very good at the first scripted plays of the game. So yeah. he would look at an opponent's weakness, and you would see the Raiders would attack that weakness. Weakness, And this is why the Raiders would jump out to the leads early against teams. But Josh McDaniels, with the exception of the Cardinals game so far, to me, I'm not saying they're not studying the opponent, but it's like they don't get what the opponent's weakness is. And the Chargers had one of the worst run defenses last year. And they ran the ball, I believe, five times before they fell behind multiple scores. Remember, the Chargers didn't go up two scores until 35 seconds left in the first half of that game. Right, right. But you only get Josh Jacobs five carries against a bad run defense from last year. And I, and same thing again, as I said, against the Titans. You're going up against a bad run defense, and you complicated the game plan. Yeah, Mo, and I don't know about you, but growing up, I used to play football in the street a lot, and every once in a while we'd go up to the park. Wherever we could just throw it around, we would. And I remember we would get in our, our two-person huddle, right, and say, okay, you're going to go around me, and then I'm going to toss you the ball, and then you're going to go around this way. This is what I got the impression of when you're talking about, and this is the third time in three games we've seen these slow-developing plays behind an offensive line that you can't decide on five guys. It blows my mind. And listen, we're going to talk about players who are underperforming later in the show, but the coaching and the decision-making, and to me, Mo, the lack of game planning. You mentioned the rush defense for the Tennessee Titans, second worst in the league. I get it. You fall behind two scores, but it's early in the third quarter. You have plenty of time to continue to run the ball so that you can open up a better passing game for your quarterback. And on, in the press conference on Monday, Josh McDaniel stood up there against said, well, we got back uh, multiple scores, right? And Evan Grote, our good buddy, said that he was going to say that. He said, you watch. In the press conference, he's going to say, well, we fell behind two scores. It's excuses, and you can't get into the, the, the rhythm of giving excuses when you underperform. And I, I'm telling you, 
that this is a big problem earlier on, early on in this season. And I do blame most of it on the coaching staff. The lack of focus in practice, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller all mentioned it. Where is that coming from? You are the boss. Do your job, Josh McDaniels, and make sure you know what the hell is going on going into a game. See, this is the problem. This is what people talk about when you have an offensive coordinator who's not a good head coach. So let's be clear here. Not, I'm not saying this is the case with Josh McDaniels. It's not looking good so far. But some offensive coordinators are just meant to be offensive coordinators. <laughs> They're not. A, when you're a head coach, you have to be a motivator of men. And I know people will say, well, these guys are making millions of dollars. They should have, they should have self-motivation. Yes, in a perfect utopian world, that is true. <laughs> but as we all know, we, go to, we all have jobs. Well, most of us have jobs, right? You've ever gone to work and you got a good paying job and there are just some people around you who are motivated to come to work and there are some people who just aren't. They need a kick in the butt. And, th- and the same goes for the NFL and sports. It's the same thing. These guys are making millions and millions of dollars, but some guys need an extra kick in the butt. And I think yeah. that's what the Raiders need. And I want to tie that to something that Merce said that alarmed me on Sunday when he said he was at the game and he said there was no fire. He didn't see any fire within the Raiders players outside exactly. of maybe Trent Sieg and the special teams, you know, AJ Cole and those guys. But to me, that's worrisome. You got it. You're going into Nashville. You're 0-2. And it's and I know Vic Tafer said this in the athletic that it's basically kind of like an elimination game if you want to be a playoff team because it, it shortens it, it decreases your chances significantly if you go down 0 and 3. 12 percent. 12 percent. So so now you're talking about a team that lacks the fire 0 and 2 on the road. That's a problem. And it goes back to motivation and leadership. But I will say one thing, too, and I'm going to talk about car hand and the car support is going to be mad at me for this, but I don't care. Part of this, part of the leadership circle in the Raiders locker room, Derek Carr has to be part of that. So I'm tired. I'm kind of sick and tired of hearing not the Derek Carr saying put it on me because that's what he's supposed to say, but I'm tired of hearing Derek Carr saying, "Well, I'm not happy with the practice habits because he did." He said this last year. This isn't new. He no. said this last year and previous years. I'm not happy with the practice habits. I'm not happy with the way things are going in practice. I want to hear what did you do when you noticed that you didn't like the practice habits you you've been in that locker room for nine years yes you're basically the longest tenured raider there now right Absolutely. you're the leader cap, captain so this is your locker room now right you're the leader you're the captain when you see guys are slacking off at practice when you when you're not liking the results at practice you have as a leader you have to pull a guy by his, by his car and say we got to pick it up we're owing two we're on the road we got to tighten things up so yes it's one thing to point out the problem you're not happy with the practice. You're not happy with certain things that are, that are going on at practice. But as the leader, you have to be part of the solution and say, look, we got to pick it up. So I, I just that kind of bothered me a little bit that I keep hearing. Yeah, practice, practice, practice. But what are you doing to tighten up those practices? Right. And listen, I understand. Have you ever seen Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, uh, those guys, Patrick Mahomes, even at his thing. Have you ever seen them go at a guy on the field because he's not doing his job? I have many I have. times. Mm-hmm. And, Derek and Carr. Really quick. Yeah. I, I, and really quick. I'm not asking Derek Carr to turn into Rich Gannon overnight. No. And I know a no. lot of fans romanticize that he needs to be Rich Gannon. No, he doesn't need to be. He, Derek Carr needs to be himself. But as a leader, if you're a leader of that football team, your voice has to be heard. Right. And, and again, nine year veteran. Okay, this isn't a third-year quarterback, a second-year quarterback. That's my issue there. 
But I, but I look at that, and I'm going to go back, and we're going to spend some more time on Derek Carr soon here in the show because we have to, uh, along with Darren Waller and some of the other guys. Uh, but again, you talked, you hit on something very important here, which was leadership. And Josh McDaniels comes in here. This, this, even from us, Mo, I, I'm looking back at it, and I'll admit it. I'll be 100% honest here. They had a honeymoon. We said, boy, these guys, it's a different business. They're operating differently. It's so professional. It's accountability. It's discipline. It's focus. All the stuff we said. And right now, I don't know who that guy is because that guy's not in the building. Uh, and I don't see any organizational prowess here whatsoever. I see, you know, you, you, you think, hear all the stuff about Hackett in Denver. He had to hire somebody to help him with game planning. I don't think Josh McDaniels is far off from that, which is probably why Mark Davis had an, a, a closed-door meeting with him after his third game as head coach because something is wrong. Something is rotten. Something is not working. The communication styles, the message, it's just not resonating with these players because they're not reacting. It's funny because you mentioned it. It sounded all good in the offseason. You're hearing yeah. about him making guys run for making mistakes, and you're, you're right. We talked about it. We was like, this is a good turn of events. This is what the Raiders needed for discipline and accountability. And then then they go down 0-2, and I hear Murr say, well, there's no fire on the sideline. Derek Carr is talking about lackluster practices. Other, other prominent players are talking about lackluster practices. Guys are saying, this is not my job. That's not my job. Not a good sign. I was watching uh, a specific show. I won't name it because I don't want to give other other uh, platforms promotion. But Sean Payton was asked about what does it mean when a coach has to meet with an owner this early in the season? And first of all, he said, first of all, it's never good. Right. But this, he said, what I would compare it to is when you're a young kid and your mom says, wait till your dad gets home. <laughs> and you know how those conversations go once oh. the door closes. Yes. And I thought that was a really good analogy because obviously it's not good, but it's obvious that, as you said, Mark Davis notices something has gone awry. And Vic Tafer wrote about something in The Athletics saying that Mark Davis had been preoccupied with the Aces in their national title run in the parade. And now that he's paying attention to the Raiders, he's probably saying, whoa, whoa, we, we were a 10-7 and playoff team last year. We add Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones, who's gone missing on a milk carton. But we're supposed to be a better football team. How are we starting off 0-3 and looking at the Denver Broncos and the Kansas City Chiefs before a bye, possibly going 0-5 if we don't beat our division rivals? Yes, and, and I, I think Vic picked up on something with the Aces, not just because I don't like the WNBA. I know some people who watch might be thinking <laughs> that just because I, I somewhat dismiss the WNBA and all 300,000 people, which is less than people who watch a Yankee game on a Wednesday, watch the championship game. Um, oh my God. But we'll, yeah, I looked it up. We will talk about Mark Davis because I think there is something here because it's organizational, right? You have the kids were at home, okay, Mo? The kids were at home and the booze was out, okay? And certainly, maybe you trusted the kid not to drink the booze, but it looks like Josh McDaniel's been boozing it up because this team is so off kilter. And I'm just – look, I've only covered the Raiders for five years. I haven't been a 30-year fan like some of the folks who watch and listen to the show. God bless you. Um, <laughs> and I'm tired of excuses. I don't care who the coach is. I don't care who the quarterback is. I don't care who the defensive coordinator is. I don't care who the tight end is. It doesn't matter. The excuses have to stop. There is no excuse for this team to dole out the money it doled out in the offseason and be 0-3, to be the only – 
0-3 team in the NFL, okay? To have a 12% chance going back to 1980 now, using those stats, 1980, 0-3, 12% chance to make the playoffs. That means you're, I don't know, three or four win, losses away from, from perhaps having a losing record overall, even if you went on a nice run. Uh, and I remember in the offseason too, Mo, do you remember this? Anything less than a playoff berth was failure. Well, guess what? That Absolutely. might already be there. It's it's baffling to me that you, even though Chandler Jones hasn't appeared, I mean, yeah. he had a couple of pressures on Sunday, but it's just not enough if you're paying a guy, you know, three years, 51 million, just nearly not enough. And side note, people came at me about coming at Chandler Jones <laughs> And guess what? <laughs> Jonathan Vilma said it during the broadcast. Yes, he did. They need they need to see a little more from Chandler Jones. Rich Gannon on social media said Chandler Jones needs to step it up. Where has he been? Mm -hmm. And I was on it since last week. I talked about it for almost a quarter of a show last week. I said Chandler yes. Jones. I know he's got a, a little few pressures here and there, a run stop here and there. But for what the Raiders are paying him, he's got to give a lot more. Now, if they were paying him $8 million, yeah, he's doing enough for an $8 million player. But for $17 million a year, $32 million guaranteed, falling way short. And I, and I know I got off point here, but it, it's just <laughs> it's, easy to it, it, it's, it's, it's baffling to me that the Reds can add Devontae Adams, have the, the 10th-ranked scoring offense, and be 0-3. And I tweeted this not to tweeted as a silver lining and people got snarky with me. I said, the Raiders outscored every AFC West team on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Chiefs lost, Chargers lost, Denver Broncos won, but they only scored 11 points. So yeah. Raiders outscored those teams. The Raiders, the, the issue with the Raiders is they don't have, they have intermittent problems. Like they'll play 15 minutes of good football. They'll play a half of good football, which you saw in Arizona and they'll score points in those good moments. But once they get in the red zone, they're 26 in red zone offense. And I said this on Twitter on Monday night. I said, if the Raiders effectively run the ball, they will be a lot better in the red zone. But Josh McDaniel's refusal to run the ball and give the ball to Josh Jacobs, even before he got sick, is hurting them in the in the red zone. And I don't know why he's refusing to run the ball because during the offseason, what did they do? They drafted two running backs, Samir White in the fourth round, Britton Brown in the seventh round. In the preseason games, what did they do a lot of the times? Established a run with a bunch of running backs. We got on this show numerous times and said, man, this running back room is talented. They got a bunch of backs. They could balance the offense. Everyone's talking about Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, and Devontae Adams, but they got a good group of running backs. They could balance their offense. Guess what? We're three weeks into the season, and the Raiders have the fewest rushing attempts in the league. It's, it's just it's baffling to me, and that was one of the points on my article on Sports Night was – they have to have a stronger commitment to the run game. I don't care if they fall behind at some point early in the game when you're playing teams with bad run defenses as they did against the Chargers, against the Titans. Yeah. Run the freaking ball. Right. Because, because, Mo, all you have to do, even if you're two scores behind, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and it's going to open up one big long play to Waller or a big long play to Adams or to Moreau like we saw early in the game. That's what happens when you establish the run. You see it work. Like you said, it's so perplexing to see it work, and then it's abandoned. It just does not make a lot of sense. It goes back to what you said last week after the Arizona loss, um, and even the week before that you said it as well, which is sometimes these offensive geniuses get inside their own head and they get too cute. 
right? And mm-hmm. they decide that they can do more. Well, let's do this. Let's do a razzmatazz uh, end around uh, <laughs> on the bad side of the offensive line. That's that's a musical chairs, right? So, so I don't I don't understand what is going on here. It's not working. The closed door meeting was bad. I was asked today on another show if I thought that if they went zero and four, if Josh McDaniels would get fired. I said no. Mm. Um, but if they listen, if they go zero and four, they're going zero and five because I don't think they're going to go to Kansas City and beat. I don't think there's any chance in hell they win that game, okay? I'm just going to say it right now. Sorry, Raider Nation, just the way it is. If they go 0-5, something would change. I don't know if it's Josh McDaniels, but something would go on because you can't, you cannot possibly go 0-5 to start the season with all the money you doled out, the veterans you got in there. And that veteran offense I want to talk about, we're going to take our first break, Mo, uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little more about the offense the defense, and some key star players. You mentioned one earlier that we still have the APB on. No one's been able to find him, Chandler Jones. We'll talk about him as well when we come back. You're listening to Silver and Black today, the Tuesday edition. We will have some positive later in the show. I promise. We'll find something. (laughs) We got to. But anyway, we'll be back with you right after this one. Don't go anywhere. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back. Silver and Black today. Mo Moten, Scott Branson with you. We are talking Raiders football, and yes, we're not very happy, just like you aren't. We're talking about what the Raiders have done to find themselves in an 0-3 hole after what was an exciting offseason, high expectations set by the organization, set by the players, set by the fans, set by the national media, and they have just crapped the bed. Sorry for an expression that early in the morning if you're listening to us. Uh, but that's exactly what's happened. By the way, do us a favor. Make sure you subscribe to the show if you already don't do it. Wherever you get your podcasts, check out the link in our Twitter handle, at SNB Today, S, the letter N, and B, Today. You can get it there. It'll take you exactly to the link so that you can subscribe on the audio. If you're watching us on video, also hit subscribe, but hit the notifications bell. You got to do that. That's the second step you got to do. That way, when there's a new video, you will be notified of it being up there. All right, let's jump in on this. I want to talk about some big money guys on the offense. We talked a little bit about Carr. Of course, we'll talk more about Carr. Darren Waller. Um, Well, I had a lot of people message me uh, throughout the game, after the drops and some of the, 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 the plays that happened with Darren Waller. And then after the press conference and then into Monday, yesterday, I had people message me and say, you know, he doesn't look right. Um, he does, he's in shape. Yeah. But he just doesn't seem like he's all there. I have the same impression about Derek Carr, by the way, but let's talk about Waller. You saw Waller, uh, that one play, 
uh, on the out pl- pattern. Uh, balls off his fingertips. Seems like he's not running full speed. I don't know for sure, but it kind of looked like that to most people. Didn't really stretch out. Didn't dive for the ball. Seemed like the effort was maybe 90% instead of 100%. And then, of course, the drop, the interception in the end zone. The play in the end zone where him and Adams get confused and flood the right side. The ball, I think, was supposed to go to Adams, but instead Waller steps in and deflects it, and it's no touchdown, and the Raiders settle for a field goal. What's going on in your mind with Darren Waller? What could be some of the factors here on why he's not connecting with a quarterback that he has so many times in the past? It's odd to me, but you know what? The Waller issue, his efficiency, or I should say inefficiency, dates back to last year. Uh, I looking at his numbers, he had a catch rate above 73%, and I believe 2019 and 2020. Last year, he had a catch rate of, I believe, below 60%. If I'm looking at mm. it correctly, he was below 60% in his catch rate. So him, he and Derek Carr hadn't been connecting as efficiently as they were when he first broke out and he had those 1,100-yard seasons. I don't know if it's injury or what have you. But it's just concerning. I don't want to say concerning, but it's just alarming when you're you're down 0-2 and, and you have Darren Wall. As you said, there was one pass that bounced off his hands and he probably could have put more effort into getting that pass, hauling, hauling that in. And then he had two passes bounce off his hands in the end zone. Now, one in one case, as you mentioned, he and Devontae Adams were in the same area. Uh, De- Jonathan Vil- Vilma mentioned that Derek Carr's pass was a bit high, but what's the golden rule in the NFL? Once the ball hits your hands, you got to bring it in. And he twice, ball hit three times, ball hit his hands, couldn't bring it in. So that's concerning. I really can't pinpoint what's going on. I don't want to bail him out and say it's it's injury. Yeah. But there's definitely something amiss there with him. Well, and 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 to his credit, I want to give Darren Wall credit because in the postgame scrum in the locker room, he admitted it full. He said, hey, look, my, my focus wasn't there. And they said, well, was it somebody coming up on you? You knew you were going to get hit. He's like, no, I got to catch the ball. I, for whatever reason, I took my took my eyes off the ball and I didn't catch it. So he fessed up to it 100. percent But I know a lot of people are pushing towards the hey, he had the you know the hold in, meaning that he showed up at camp but he didn't play because his hamstring was fine until the day he signed his contract and then he was out there and his hamstring was fine. So a lot of people are pointing to that, um, and he didn't work out. Clearly, you know, none of these guys played in the preseason, as we know. But Darren Waller didn't really even work out with the team as well. And some people are pointing to that. This is why, and I know we talked about it, and and I said, going back to when I had the guest on, Cynthia Freeland, from the NFL Network during the summer, I don't think they should have given Darren Waller the contract now. The, the, The scenario you put together back then was give him a nice raise for this season and then talk contract extension after he proves himself. And I think that's what the Raiders should have done. I think this was another strategic error I think from Mark Davis Mark Davis likes to take care of his people a little bit too much I think at times and I think that's what they did with Darren Waller instead of taking money and spending it on interior defensive line ooh, offensive line uh, they they get Darren Waller they get Hunter Renfro they get Derek Carr uh, they get Devontae Adams to the big deal which I have no problem with uh, and so guess what you you prioritize those guys and now you're you are feeling the pain of not prioritizing your areas of need. Darren Waller could have waited one more year. Right, and that's why I proposed a immediate bump for this year, but not commit to him for multiple years, simply because of two things. And I, and I spoke about this before, his age plus his injury history. And like I said, before this offseason, last year, last offseason, he missed a chunk of the offseason because of an injury. 
So he's coming off he's coming off of a down year. He's turning 30. Now again, people will say, well, he doesn't have the wear and tear of most players because he wasn't used very much at Baltimore. He was off their practice squad, and I get that. But as you pointed out, age is age, and your biologic clock is what it is, and you're taking hits, especially at the tight end position. So still, I, I would I was just hesitant to give him a multi-year deal, just coming off of a down year and just with his injury history, I just wanted to see him prove it for at least half a season before you give him an extension because you, he is working in the new offense. He is now working alongside Devontae Adams. Now, he sh- that field should be more open for him, but as you're seeing, he's not capitalizing as much as you think he should be. So uh, I don't have an issue with the Rays taking care of their players. I just think they should have done it in a better way in Waller's case. Yeah, we look at other star players. Let, let's stay on the offense just for a second here. Uh, and 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 come back to Derek Carr for a second. I'm hearing again a lot of excuses. Well, another system, another coach. But then I look at I don't know Tua on Miami, the quarter young quarterback. He's got his third offensive coordinator, second head coach in his short career. He's Trevor doing Lawrence. Okay. Yes, he's doing okay. Trevor Lawrence, the same thing. Uh, he's picked up his game. Here's the thing with Derek Carr. You and I have been consistent on this. We said, look, he's a mid tier, top tier, or I should say, a mid tier quarterback. Top 12, 15 in that range. Nothing wrong with that. Um, what Derek Carr, we talked about the leadership issues earlier, if there are some. Uh, and secondarily, uh, there's been regression here. I think that he hasn't played terribly, and, except for the Arizona game, or excuse me, the first game against the Chargers. Um, but the Arizona game, he had his moments. This game, he was consistent for the most part. He was what I consider a game manager. Uh, he had the nice long pass at the end there. He had some passes dropped on him, not his fault. The interception, not his fault as well. That's why I hate the quarterback position having to own the interceptions on their own because uh, I don't think it's fair. But nonetheless, that's where we're at. I don't think Derek Carr is a guy who's going to do what some people want him to do. So you have to look at it from that situation. If this team continues to falter, even if they're one and four and they go to two and five or two and six, if this team is continuing to underperform and doesn't string together a bunch of wins, I think his time in Las Vegas is coming to a close because I think you can't, you went into this year not rebuilding, Mo. I said this last segment. This was a team they paid for and built with acquisition to win now. They were a playoff team last year. If they don't win this year, I think you got to think about the future. You got to jettison the quarterback. You have the out in his contract. I think he can go elsewhere and be successful, but they're going to have to think about the future. Derek Carr will not be the quarterback if this team goes 4-12. and 12. Yeah, so this is where the Derek Carr supporters are going to tune us out and say Mo and Scott <laughs> are a bunch of our two Derek Carr haters. Now, the Raiders, I don't think the Raiders are going to have the first overall pick in the draft. But let's no. say the Raiders, for some whatever reason, they have a top five pick in the draft. You got C.J. Stroud coming out, possibly. You got Young coming out of Alabama. I don't think you pass up on either of those prospects to say, okay, we're going to stick with Derek Carr. If if you got if you had a shot of a blue-chip prospect, you you take that blue-chip prospect and say, okay, we got a higher ceiling with this guy. And again, I'm I'm considered now a Derek Carr guy. People's like, oh, you're soft on Derek Carr. And, I, and I've always said, <laughs> overall, he's in, he's in that 12th. For me, he's in that 12 to 14 range. Can he be a right. top five quarterback for a stretch or a top 10 quarterback for a stretch? Absolutely, because we've seen it. In and we've seen him, right, and we've seen him pull this team, put this team on his back, and take him to the playoffs last year. But when you're looking at the overall big picture, and you're looking at upside, 
You want a quarterback maybe that can mask some of your deficiencies if you have a weaker offensive line. Derek Carr is not going to do that for you because he doesn't have the mobility to do that for you. So I'm not again, and I'm not saying the Raiders need to go out and get a Lamar Jackson type, but a guy who's a natural mover that can mask some of those deficiencies if you want to go cheap with your offensive line, which to me you should never do anyway. I think the offensive <laughs> line is a position group that you should invest a lot of money in. The Raiders didn't do that. That's a whole different story for a different segment. But back to the back to the point is if the Raiders have a top five pick and they have a shot to get a top quarterback in the draft, I think you're right. I think Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziggler look at it as can we get more upside out of another quarterback, a younger quarterback, a more mobile quarterback who has maybe some tools and intangibles? Because I want to tell you something. Look at the league right now. Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert when he's healthy. Those guys, what they call toolsy type quarterbacks. They mm -hmm. have the mobility. They have a big arm. They have something about them that makes their talent extraordinary. And Derek Carr, albeit he's very, very good, very solid, he doesn't have that one intangible that you look at and say, wow, he has a great arm or he's got great mobility. He can do this. He can do that. And the ceiling is just isn't as high for him as it is for a Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts type. No, and not everybody's Tom Brady with some kind of freakish deal with the devil where at 45 you can play quarterback. So mm. Derek Carr at his age, too, is typically when you see either a guy really ascend for a couple years or they start to kind of slowly drop off. And I think he's at that point as well. And to me, even if the Raiders are in mid to, to high first round, a guy like Will Levis, who I love at Kentucky – transfer from Penn State is another guy, bigger, taller guy, but can move in the pocket and can do things with his arm that Derek Carr doesn't do. So so I just say that because, again, I'm not like you last week. I mean, and that was at 0-2. You were, you were the guy with the glass half full, okay? Mm -hmm. We're a little less full now at 0-3, but that doesn't mean you can't salvage a season. Whether you make the playoffs or not at this point, you can't worry about it. You just have to win games, Okay. Worry about the other stuff later with the conference. But I will tell you that if you get to the point, if you get to the eighth or tenth week of the season and you have eight or ten losses already, it's over. And so you have to start as a business. You have to start thinking about the future. And all these big contracts you sign now become a massive liability when you're looking at needing a quarterback, perhaps. You're looking at still needing to address your offensive line, your defensive line, and a good part of the defense. And I want to be clear with this whole Derek Carr thing, because I know people are going to run with this and say, Mo saying dump Derek Carr after three weeks, and that's not what I'm saying. Hater. Right? And, and as you said, if the Raiders get to a point and they're 6-11, and they're six and 11, right? Mm -hmm. And they're looking at, okay, we can let Derek Carr go and not incur any any financial burden to strings that tied to him if we let him go, or you know, we can get a Bryce Young. Or we can, we can get a CJ Strat if those guys come out and you're looking at it. You have to look at it as what is the upside? Can we can we go from a BB plus quarterback to a potential A quarterback? Because let me tell you something. If if the Bills, if you rewind the, rewind the clock and the Bills could say, okay, we can go get an Alex Smith or we could draft a Josh Allen. Hindsight's always 2020, but mm -hmm. you always go with the upside if you can get it because that quarterback could take you to the promised land. I know the Bills lost on Sunday, but trust me, they're going to be fine. They're going to go to the playoffs as long as Josh Allen is healthy. So again, you have to weigh it. You know, it, is the upside worth it? Is the risk worth it? But going back to the now, what the season is right now, 
I want to say this, and I know people said Maurice is the Mo is the half glass full, and Raider Ramble saying, "Oh, where's the positivity now, Mo? The Raiders are zero and three. And I will say this: not everybody could be the 2018 Houston Texans and go zero and three and still make the playoffs and absolutely and win the division. But what I will say is, there's a lot of season left, and I'm not saying that the Raiders are going to turn around and, be, and win 12, 11, 12 games. And my 10 and 7 prediction still stands. I, I want to say that on the show. I said that on Twitter after the Raiders went down 0 and 3. My 10 and 7 prediction still stands until it's mathematically impossible because last year I watched the Raiders team go 6 and 7, and people said they had basically no chance to make the playoffs. And guess what happened? They made the playoffs. Now they got some breaks because some quarterbacks were hurt and there were injuries. I get it. But that's my point is we have 15 weeks left in the season. They still have time to write this ship and get things going, but they have to do it now, starting with Denver. Yeah, and and you can't help but, again, um, when you are looked upon as the most disappointing team in the NFL thus far, which most people consider the Raiders, because of all the moves, they had so much positive momentum, right? But, again, it's sort of like people look at the value of their house on Zillow. Guess what, guys? It's paper. It doesn't really exist until you actually sell the house and get that price. And that's what happened with the Raiders. They had all this great press, all these people talking about all the great moves they made, which hid the deficiencies. Now, us on this show, other people on other shows, other beat writers, people around the NFL, were writing about all offseason the weaknesses that this team had and that people shouldn't overlook them. And that's what we've seen. Uh, what we didn't expect, though, was the coaching, I think, to fall down as much as it has uh, so far this season. All right. We're going to take our second break. When we come back, we'll close the show out, and we're going to talk a little more about the Raiders uh, and the veterans on this team. Now, this is not a rookie team. There is a lot of veterans in that locker room. What's going on there, as well as some of the comments we heard after the game. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about the Mark Davis situation that we talked about earlier in the show. You're listening to Silver and Black today with Mo Moten and Scott Branson, an Odyssey original podcast. We'll be back right after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. Silver and Black today, the home stretch on this Tuesday. We hope your week is off to a better start than the Raiders. Oh, sorry. Um, it's not because you're a part of Raider Nation and I know it's been tough. And we're getting it all out of the way. The postmortem on the loss in Tennessee today. And of course, as you know, we turn the page starting tomorrow, looking ahead, answering your questions on a mailbag show again on Wednesday. And then Thursday, we look ahead to the home game at Denver. 
which is not just a must-get game. It is a must-win for your life game against Denver at home on Sunday at Allegiant Stadium. So we'll talk about that as well. Again, he is Mo Moten, national NFL writer for Bleacher Report, also columnist for SportsNot.com covering the Raiders. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. That's Mo Moten. I am LV Gully on Twitter. You can also catch my column once a week on sportsnot.com uh, on Wednesdays as well, where I do Raiders players stock up and stock down. I don't know if there was a stock up this past week. Well, Mac Hollins, I guess, uh, but it's going to be an interesting one to write this week. Mo, let's talk about this team too, because even though they've gotten a lot of new bodies, there's a lot of veterans on this team. That to me, is one of the things that kind of eats at me and bothers me a little bit, just as somebody who covers a team, not even as a fan, is that this is happening with a lot of veterans. If you had a young team, for example, you saw the mess. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence in the last segment, um, mm-hmm. Jacksonville, and then you had the the complete d- football diarrhea that was Urban Meyer in Jacksonville and a young roster, and it was a disaster all the way around. In Las Vegas, you have a veteran roster with players who went through hell last season. How does Mm. something like this occur? How does this idea that Derek Carr talks about in the press conference that people aren't practicing the way they should, that the preparation, the dedication that you need as a professional isn't there, how does that happen on a veteran roster? That's hard to explain. I don't even have an answer for you because I think you would have to be in the locker room to know and it's just, I, I think fans have pointed this out to me on Twitter, that it's just been a perpetual problem. Remember when Nelson Aguilar had that blow up in the locker room and Max mm-hmm. Crosby tried to downplay it last year? Like yep. that was happening under Gruden and, and um, people were saying, well, what's going on? And Alec Ingle talked about the practice habits. This has been a perpetual problem. My thing is, who are the guys in that locker room, again, who are your leadership guys that are, are approaching these people and saying, hey, shape up or shape out? Because mm-hmm. that has to be that has to be the message. If you're not along with the program, then we can move forward without you. And I think that if you don't have that type of mentality, other players are going to slack off. Because there's an analogy that's out there, and they say one bad apple can turn a whole bunch rotten. It mm-hmm. doesn't go the other way around. Like you don't have good apples turn a bad apple good. And it's the same thing with the locker room. If you have a few bad apples that are not practicing or not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And you're going to have other younger players who are in that locker room who may say, well, this guy's not giving 100%. Why Why should I give 100%? Waller's not giving 100%. He's not focused. Well, I'm only making a couple of million. Why do I need to be 100% focused? So I think it shouldn't be that way. Again, in the utopian world, you want your guys who are making millions to be dialed in all the way, but that's just not the case. And again, may, maybe this is trying to make one and one equal three. I don't know. But but you just mentioned, you you hit on a couple key points there. One is you saw this under Gruden. You saw this under Jack Del Rio. Going back to Jack Del Rio, okay, before Gruden. This locker room stuff, these little things that happen on and on and on. Um, some people would argue, and again, this is an argument I've seen out there. I'm not making it, but I'm going to ask you, Mo. People say, what's the common denominator? The only guy that's left, which is Derek Carr. Is that fair at all to maybe even broach that question? I think it's fair because I mentioned it in the first segment, right? You've been there for nine years. This is essentially your football team. I'm not saying that the Raiders wouldn't have got Devontae Adams if Derek Carr wasn't there, but it's I'm sure it helped the fact that they had a connection. 
So they're building. So they're building around you. You are the centerpiece of this team. You are the face of this organization. You've been there through the team, moving from Oakland to Las Vegas. You've been there during the bad times. You got this team to the playoffs. Your voice is the most important voice in that locker room. So when guys are slacking off, yes, it's on the head coaching. It's on the head coach, Josh McDaniels and his staff. But as the leader of the football team, as the guy, as the guy in that locker room. It's also on you to be part of that leadership circle to get guys on track. And that, to me, when you point to leadership issues, Derek Carr has to point back to himself, and he does that. To his credit, he does at the podium. He says, starts with me. But then what's the problem? If we've been having this issue, as you said, back to the Del Rio years. I know Derek Carr is much younger then. But now that you're, you're a veteran in your ninth year, shouldn't be having these same problems. If you're the leader in that locker room, if you have the pulse of that team, it's also on your shoulders. Yeah, and to be fair, yes, Derek Carr doesn't drop passes. He doesn't leave um, his quarterback exposed. He doesn't play offensive line. He doesn't play defensive back. So I get it. It's a team game. Not one person Mm -hmm. is responsible. But I think the leadership Mm -hmm. question gets at some of the issues. When you have players like Devontae Adams saying he's angry and disappointed, and I didn't get from his comments, Mo, that he's just angry and disappointed because of the loss. There's something else working there. There's so, You can see in someone's face the disappointment of losing. Even Derek Carr at the podium on Sunday mm-hmm. had a different look about him. He just did. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And so, um, especially going <laughs> into this year, because I really believe there is absolutely zero excuses for this team to underperform. If if they were if they were losing because the offensive line was failing, then you say, well, we knew that was going to happen, or we knew they didn't address it, so you can understand it. The stuff that's happening, you can't understand. And to me, my experience in business, my experience in life, and I know we, you, you and I have talked offline as friends about this stuff many, many times. In you have leadership, okay, and it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. you're leading. I don't care if you're leading the local pizza joint, you're leading uh, 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 an extermination outfit where you go kill bugs for people. It doesn't matter. A good leader will bring his people along and get the most talent out of them. So when they're not the strongest team, they'll get every ounce they can out of them. And when they are a really good team, then they all click. So so it's very curious there. And, and Adam's comments, do you think right now, three games in, that Devontae Adams is thinking to himself, what did I do? Yeah, I don't think it's there yet. I think it's just more frustration because, you know, Devontae Adams has had his opportunities. I think he should get more opportunities when the Raiders are close. I think mm-hmm. his target his target volume and the target selection is a little off, but I believe he's scored in every game so far. So, yeah. it, you know, it's it, I, I think it's more frustration. Again, I think it's more having to do with losing that, that he regrets leaving Green Bay because he gets to play with a quarterback that he has a rapport with because – when it comes down to it, it's a bottom line business and, and guys just want to win because once the race start winning, all that goes out the window. But I don't think he has rem, uh, remorse for his move or wanted to leave Green Bay for Las Vegas yet. But I want to touch on something about Derek Carr, as you said, and I want to make something clear because, again, I know people are going to run with this because when it comes to Derek Carr, people lose sense of comprehension <laughs> and they can't hear properly. But we're not we're not blaming Derek Carr for the drops. No. said at the beginning of the show that that's on Darren Waller. Ball hits his hands. He's got to bring that in. My annoyance with Derek Carr, not annoyance, but my issue with Derek Carr is the practices. If the practices aren't going the way you think they should be going, as a leader, you have to step it up. On the field, when players are dropping passes, the guys are not running the right routes, guys are not blocking, 
that's on them. That's on Derek Carr. Those guys have a job to do too. So there are multiple things going on with this Raider team. It's, as as most as case with most things, things not going right. It's multiple things. It's not just one person. It's not just one position group. It's multiple things that are not going well. And the offensive line, as I pointed out in the article, the defensive line, not enough push on the interior. We've talked about this multiple times. We the, the two time. things that the two things that we talked about during the offseason, during the preseason, what did we say? The Raiders have to be better in the trenches. And on paper, yeah. they're they're not looking good. The offensive line is not settled. They don't have an interior guy that could that could make a push for the pocket. Blau Nichols, we'll see. So far, he hasn't shown up. Two years, eleven million dollar contract, seven point one million guaranteed. The guy has four tackles, four tackles and no pressures. You I need more than that. you need more than that from him. Yeah, and 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 you talk about Chandler Jones. Um, we talked about him earlier, Mo. I just don't know. I mean, they they not only brought him in to rush the passer, but they brought him as a veteran bookend to Max Crosby on the other side and to that defensive line, and clearly that's not working either. He's not, he's not the veteran leader they thought he would be, and he's certainly not the player they would be. Uh, and the other player, and I've been picking on him this week because I just think it's time to turn the page is Jonathan Abram. Um, I, I can't watch him in coverage anymore. I just can't do it. It's just awful. It's god-awful. They are targeting him, and it's easy pickings uh, for any quarterback in the NFL. I tweeted this Monday morning. He gave up a perfect passer rating against the Titans. A perfect <laughs> Passer rating. That means every time Ryan Tannehill dropped back and he was able to spot 24, he was going at 24. John Abram gave up five catches for, I believe, 81 yards and a touchdown. And, oh, by the way, he missed two tackles. And what did I say (laughs) during the offseason? I said, one of the things that Jonathan Abram has to get better at is he's got to miss fewer tackles because I believe he missed 10% of his tackles in the season that he played more than one game because, as we know, he he basically missed his entire rookie season because he banged up his shoulder but in the in the in the years he played more than one game at least 10 percent missed tackle rate yeah and he could he he whiffed on tackles took bad angles couldn't cover and it seemed like jonathan abram was turning the corner because we said on the show if you use him as a blitzer he yeah. can be effective the problem is as i said as we both said he's not going to get any better in coverage so once you have him out there in space He's a liability, and we saw that against the Titans on Sunday. Right. I mean, you, you want to give him a league minimum to be that guy? Okay. But other than that, it's 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 just horrific to watch. I can't I can't handle it anymore. Um, <laughs> I promise we will end the show with a couple positives. Stay with us. Um, the last <laughs> thing I want to address, and and Vic Tafer, you mentioned his piece that that really resonated, made me think about something I had not thought of, and that was Mark Davis in the last month and a half. Mark Davis is the owner of the Las Vegas Aces who won the WNBA championship. Congratulations to the ladies there. Um, But Mark Davis missed the opening game, opening day game of the Raiders in Los Angeles to be with the WNBA Aces. Now, I understand they were playing for a championship. But this, again, I think Vic Tafer danced around it pretty openly that maybe Mark Davis wasn't totally checked into what was happening with his football organization. I had uh, Adrian over at 98.5 The Fan, our station in Las Vegas, interview me today, and he asked me about it, and I I brought up this subject, and he thought I was crazy. Because he said, what does the owner have to do with Josh McDaniels and this team and how they're performing? And I said, again, it goes back to leadership. I can be the owner of the business. I I can own a hair salon, Mo. 
I don't know how to do hair, but I know how to do business. And if I, it's my job to make sure everything in the organization is running smoothly, especially, especially after coming off where we lost two time employees, a long time employees that were alleging improprieties and all this other stuff, which we don't know what happened there yet still. But anyway, coming off of that, he goes and hires a new president. I get she runs the day to day. Good for her. But Mark Davis was absent the last month and a half, okay, with this all this new stuff with the Raiders. And I'm sorry, I get he owns the WNBA team, but what is your priority? It comes down in life, you have priorities, okay, and you make priorities. And so Mark Davis, much like Darren Waller did the one time we defended him for going to the game when he was out injured, um, Mark Davis uh, had a lot more time spent on the WNBA than he did on his NFL team. And I'm not blaming him for what's happened, but certainly when you look at it from the outside, you're kind of like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, Vic Tafer pretty much said that he wasn't, as you say, he wasn't all dialed into the Raiders while he was celebrating or, you know, attending to the Aces. But I think he felt, and I'm just channeling Mark Davis. I don't know this for mm-hmm. sure. I'm not reporting this, but I just felt like he, he hired Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler from a well-respected organization in the Patriots. And he probably felt, you know what? I can step out and these guys can run the show and I don't have to worry about it. These guys are grown-ups. They know what they're doing. They come from a respected organization where things are run properly. They can handle it. They can handle the day-to-day stuff. I'm an owner. I have to oversee everything. But for a couple of weeks, for a few weeks, they got it. Apparently, they don't got it. So now you're 0-3. <laughs> and now you're worried, like, what's what's going on? Why why did, you know, why why are we falling behind this early? We should be a lot better because of the fans. And we expected the race to be a lot better. I had them starting out at, I believe, 2-1. and one. I believe you may have had them starting out 3-0. and oh, And I'm sure Mark Davis didn't have them starting out 0-3. He probably had them starting out pretty well after what happened last year and, and the acquisitions made. So he's probably turning around thinking, what is going on? But let's not make any mistake. I'm sure Mark Davis had updates on what was going on with the Rays. I'm sure he knew they were 0-1, 0-2, no, and then 0-3. And you bring up a really good point, which is, hey, he hired the people he believes in can run the football operation day-to-day on – on his um, on his dollar, and so he has mm-hmm. full trust in them. And I, don't, I I think that's a fine way to lead in most cases. I was just bringing it up because it was brought up in the story, and it made me think. I never thought of it that way. I just never thought of it that way. And when you hear that from a beat writer, you kind of give it a little more credence just because the beat writers are hearing from people around, right? They're hearing more than mm-hmm. we do because we're not yep. there with the team every day like they are. So, so it was very interesting uh, and we'll see, you know, what happens with that as it moves on. Mose, we get close to the end of the show here on a Tuesday. A couple things I want to point out on the positive side. Clearly, Josh Jacobs, when he's allowed to run the ball, has looked really good this season. <laughs> um, now, now maybe, maybe it's uh, he's staying healthy because he's not running the ball that much. I don't know, but man, he he seems like. He looks like the Josh Jacobs of that first year where he just broke out and had a really good season. Um, I hope we get to see more of him. I hope we get to see more of him, but I hope we get to see more of the younger running back. The three-headed monster. I don't understand. This is what baffles me also about the Raiders' running back rotation. As I said in the first segment, you draft Zamir White in the fourth round, Britton Brown in the seventh round. But you're running out 32-year-old Brandon Bolden as your number two running back. (laughs) 
I understand yeah. he was with you in New England, Josh McDaniels, but you drafted these two guys to play. And like I said, you can get a third, fourth round running back, and those guys can get plugged in right away. You did it with uh, Ramondre Stevenson in New England. It was a fourth round running back. He got touches early. He was involved. Zamir White has one carry for two yards. Amazing. To me, that's that that that's inexplicable. And you're running out. You're an older running back who's more of a special teams guy, a pass catcher, in my opinion. Right. I, I just think I just think he's underutilizing and misusing his talented running back room. But again, that's a conversation for a different segment and different show. It sure is. The other guy I really thought early in the Tennessee game, and, and I, I jokingly tweeted it, but I was halfway serious, which was this could be the Foster Moreau game. He came out on fire. And I'm going to go this far. I know they just gave Darren Waller all the money. But if Darren Waller struggles against Denver, I say I say you bring out Moreau and give him more of a chance because Foster Moreau seems to be healthy. He seems to be kind of dialed in a little more, uh, and him and Carr were clicking a little bit early on. I'd like to see more of him. I thought that was one of the positives coming out of the Titans' loss as well. I say why not line up Waller as a wide receiver and have Foster Moreau at tight end, have tight them both end. on the field at the same yeah. time, you have a two t- or have two tight end sets. But I guess right now with it's hard to keep Mac Hollins. I mean, I guess you can have Mac Hollins and Devontae Adams on the field too in two tight end sets because you can have Moreau, Waller, Hollins, and Adams because Mac Hollins, he is definitely, I think he's exceeding expectations. A lot of people oh, yeah. thought he could be a spark plug, but it's funny to me how with Derek Carr, and I'm going to give Derek Carr some credit here for the Derek Carr supporters. It's funny to me how <laughs> Derek Carr can take and uh, – it just kind of like an underrated or a lesser known player and turn him into a pretty good receiver. We saw it with Nelson Aguilar. Mm-hmm. Nelson Aguilar has some down years with Philly, comes to the Raiders. All of a sudden, Nelson Aguilar is this big play receiver who gets a big contract with the Patriots. Nobody knew who Darren Waller was before he came off of the uh, Baltimore Ravens practice squad. Gets Derek Carr, great season. I, I mean, I remember even in his later years, Jared Cook has some good years with Derek Carr. And now we're seeing it with, with Mac Hollins. Now, a lot of people thought he would be the number three guy. Right now, he leads the Raiders in receiving yards. He has yes. more receiving yards Close than Devontae mind. Adams. So he, he he's a guy that people thought, oh, he's a 3-4 guy. I thought he was a 3-4 wide receiver. Turns out he's a big play guy, averages 17.1 yards per catch with Derek Carr. So kudos to Carr for getting that guy the ball. It's like the Twilight Zone, man. We're in the Twilight Zone. Um, one last thing, Mo, and I forgot about this, this thing that was eating at my, my football soul. Can you explain to me why the Raiders, uh, even when they're passing the ball and seemingly can't run anymore because they're down two scores, why they're not running slant patterns and crossing receivers in the middle? Any idea? Didn't, didn't New England do that with Wes Welker and all those little receivers, Danny Amendola and those guys. What what happened? What's going on? Why can't the Raiders run a slant? Because Josh Meows is busy running the Statue of Liberty plays and the Fumble <laughs> Roosties. That's why. Uh, he's got more interest. Oh. He's got more interest. And this goes back to my point. Keep it simple. Yeah. He'd rather run the trick play than to get the easy yardage on some routine patterns. And and that's to me, that goes back to Josh McDaniels to me just trying to outsmart the room. Keep it simple. Get the ball to your playmakers and get to the next down. And you know what is so it's just like torch. It's like it's like a water torture, you know, the, the drip, drip, drip <laughs> yeah. for Raider Nation is that some of the things that Josh McDaniels should be supplementing his offense with to make it work better are exactly the things that John Gruden did that drove people nuts. 
and mm-hmm. it, it's like it's like a horror movie, <laughs> right? You complain mm-hmm. all those years about what oh he's concerned, and then Josh McDaniels comes in and does all this stuff that's crazy or not crazy enough. And if they just did some of the things that if you combine the two philosophies, you might have some more balance. I think in your column you talked about balance, right? Mm-hmm. And and suddenly they're not able to find that balance. If this team, to your point, Mo, again, I'm finishing on a positive here. If this team can find a semblance of that balance and get an identity quickly, they could do damage because I still think this offense has the ability, even with the weakness up front, I think this offense has the ability to be the kind of offense that could put up 30-plus points for four or five games in a row. Yeah, and I I thought about this earlier today. It's crazy to, to think that the 10th-ranked scoring offense in the league is underachieving, yes. right? The Raiders are 10th in scoring, but yet we're, we're saying they should be able to put up 30, and they should. If, you're, if, you're, if they're not 26 in red zone scoring with an under 50% conversion rate, they, they could easily put up 30 a game. Yeah. And they needed that 30 a game because their defense has let them down in certain, <laughs> in certain parts of, of, these, of these contests. But I, I think it comes down to, as you said, and as I wrote in the column, balance. I think if they had more balance, you would see more consistency. Again, you you have to find more than one way to win a football game. You just can't go out there and chuck the ball and throw the ball 30, 35, 40 times and expect to win football games. You got to have some balance. And to me, that goes back to Joshua Daniels and his play calling. And if Derek Carr has the free reign to change plays at the line of scrimmage, he has to be able to say, no, we're checking into a run play. This is the play we're running. It's going to work. Trust me on this one. He should have the cachet. Again, he's been in the league this long, nine years. He should have the trust of Joshua Daniels, who, by the way, wanted him while he was in New England. Right. Yeah. No excuses anymore. I just don't, I don't, I don't accept any excuses. This team has to turn it around against Denver and we're going to get into that on Thursday. We will get into the Raiders moving forward against the Broncos in that big, huge, massive, I don't know how else to say huge. I said huge uh, game at Allegiant stadium on Sunday against their AFC West rival, the Denver Broncos. But first tomorrow, Mo, we're going to do a quick, and down and dirty mailbag show. We always love hearing from Raider Nation. Not as much when they are uh, ready to uh, dump everybody overboard, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. but we'll have the mail show tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that. I have one. I have one comment though too. Okay. You mentioned the Denver Broncos Raiders game. Yes. Yes. Who's, guess who's favored for that game? Uh, the Broncos. No. The Raiders are favored by two points. So for Raider Ramble yes. saying, Moe's always positive. Where's the positive now? <laughs> Vegas, the book, the odds makers also aren't giving up for the giving up on the Raiders. Obviously, the odds makers believe that the Raiders are a better team than their actual record. They're 0-3, but they're obviously you are what your record says you are, as Bill Parcells, I believe, said. But looking at this football team, they are a better football team than what their record suggests. And the odds makers apparently aren't giving up on them because they are favored against the Broncos, who, by the way, have trouble scoring the football. Just yes. Saying. Well, we'll have to see. Uh, and and the Broncos have a good defense. So I think the Raider defense is going to have to step up and play hard, and that offense is going to have to click for them to do business against the Broncos. All right, Mo, we will talk to you tomorrow on the Mailback Show. Hopefully we can make it a more positive show. Absolutely. All right. Thank you guys for listening to the Tuesday edition of Silver and Black today in Odyssey Original Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. Also, do us a big favor. Uh, Most of you we know from the data listen on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much for doing that. 
Give us a rating. Go give us a five-star rating. Put your comments on there. We've been getting more and more reviews. We certainly appreciate all the kind words, uh, as always, here on Silver and Black Today. For Mo Moten, I am Scott Branson. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the Silver and Black Today Raider Nation Mailbag Show, and we'll uh, definitely keep it more positive for you, Raider Nation. Hang in there, and we'll talk to you next time.